NA is the most underwhelming fucking region in the history of esports. Because, man alive, you know how, in, in general, those guys would all be like, I hate participation culture. You are participation culture, you fucking idiots. Hello, good morning, afternoon, evening, whatever applies to you. Uh, I'm Rich, and yes, sorry to disappoint, but I am filling in again uh, as host for the fantastic Mr. Fox. Uh, and yes, I am in fact doing this episode from a bed, and I offer no further elaboration on that. So yeah, it's like a sofa. We wouldn't, well, you wouldn't actually know if you didn't say it was a bed. By the way, it could easily be like a sofa, a chair, or something. I thought maybe the pillow gives it away, but yeah. Uh, but anyway, yeah. Actually, th those of you who can remember as far back as some of your old videos, Thorin, will know that this is actually maybe a bit of an homage to an old, long-forgotten meta of laying down while recording True. videos. So go look yeah. it up. If you haven't seen some of those gems, um, I'm joined today by uh, Trindamir One Trick uh, Yasuka. Is that how you pronounce it, by the way? Because like uh, phonetically, it looks like Yasu. Yeah, Yasuka. Is that correct? So, so, so the way it'd be pronounced is Yasuke. So sort of two syllables. Yasuke. Yeah. yeah. Okay, Yasuka. Um, so Yasuka is obviously a One Trick uh, Trindamir player. Mark Merrill. There you go. I've given you three ingredients for a joke. I'm not going to have to come up with one myself, so go wild. Um, and of course, I'm also joined as always by, let's, let's think, Brazilians hate him, doctors fear him. Don't really know where I'm going with that one either, but it's Thorin. So there we go. Right. Wait a minute, so I'm the president of Brazil. That's a pretty fucked up thing to say. Straight fire reference, if you understand that one, worked on two levels. Works on three levels, really, because I feel like people on Twitter actually behave like you are their king, in a way. Just sort of uh, not very benevolent. Right, so now before I jump into it, as always, because Foxy isn't here, I'm not going to steal his thing. I'm just going to do a worse version of it. So I have a new and improved Would You Rather. To be honest, it wasn't that difficult to get one that was better than the hamster dog conundrum in hindsight um but yeah here it is so my conundrum for both of you is and i'll start with you yaska would you rather travel the world for one year visiting all of your bucket list locations but you have to do it on a super skimpy like shoestring budget so like yeah you get to see the incas but you're in a fucking tent or whatever like or some shitty hostel right or would you rather live in like obscene sort of seemingly unobtainable levels of luxury for one year, but you're in like a smallest vi village and you can't like leave that village for the whole year. You have to literally just stay there. I, I mean, so I would really enjoy the idea of living in a small village um, as a general thing, just kind of seeing like what that kind of lifestyle would be like. So aside from the luxury part, that would be kind of nice. But I also am somebody who generally just travels really light. Like, uh, I could be ready to go to go to a trip for two weeks in like 10 minutes. I'm not somebody who really needs a lot of stuff. So it wouldn't even really be that different for me to be able to travel the world freely with uh, really light budget. So I, I would definitely go with the, uh, the former option. Fair enough. Even though I don't, I don't really care about like the opulence and the wealth and that, but I would pick just to be in the small village because I actually think basically the more you need a really good holiday or to travel is proportionate to how much your real life sucks back home. So if my real life's amazing, I don't need to go anywhere. By the way, spoiler, half that shit's mega overrated. Like you just look at the pyramids and then go, right the buses in half an hour like you don't do anything like the, in fact the maddest thing about it is essentially like the video that you see is almost all you see so i think they're mad over it loads of travel and then spoil half of history just fake anyway so almost everything that tour guide tells you just bollocks they made up or some shit that like essentially wikipedia level fucking citations so so it's just really not that great that's why yeah. I, that's why the problem with that angle is the idea like i'm just sort of visiting like a tour if it was like go live there for like a month at a time or something then maybe that'd be interesting maybe there'd be some angle there but like the tour Tourist angle, I, don't, I think it's a bit sort of, it's like what it seems is just surface level to me. I, I, I can't say, I don't, it's not about the money even. I just think living in a small village would be cool. Be better for your soul. Yeah. I uh, think the best thing about the traveling one would be if it's like all done and planned for you, like meticulously perfectly by someone else, then that would just take most of the difficulty out of it. Because cool. in theory, if it's a shoestring budget, you could probably do it if you wanted to anyway. Whereas the obscene luxury is something that right, most people will never see as an obtainable goal so yeah it is what it is anyway swiftly moving into things esports um 
Obviously, today we're starting with League and specifically with MSI, uh, which saw China's RNG take down Korea's T1 in a decently contested five-game series. I would say, and I don't know, maybe I'm just like hungover or I was hungover from just how horrible the tournament had been from my perspective the whole time. It it didn't actually feel like that great of a BO5, even though it was the two best teams and it went the five games. I don't know. Um, didn't seem that great to me. Anyway, the event as a whole, as I kind of just alluded to, was heavily criticised throughout by, you know, community members and pundits alike, uh, partly as a reference for its format, partly because of the limited numbers of actual competitive series, ping issues, list goes on. Um, so I'm going to start with you, Thorin. All of this begs the question, is this the worst esports tournament you've ever watched? I mean, the problem with ever is I've watched a lot of esports tournaments that were shit. Like, obviously, in Counter-Strike, we have smaller events, etc. that were in the land circuit. So it can't really be like that. That's too much hyperbole. Maybe if I had some, like, if I had some factor that attenuates it, like dollar for dollar spent or something. Tier one, based, let's say tier one. Yeah, tier or based one on, like, number of people watching, amount of, like, significance it should have. On some of those grounds, it might be, in the sense that it, it does seem essentially worthless. I mean, the joke I have about this tournament, there's two angles. One, the fact that they had to, like, essentially fuck every angle of the tournament up to get the Chinese there is because if the Chinese team doesn't go, the tournament is, like, 10% as interesting. And then secondly, the joke is, it actually should be an even worse tournament like the joke is because China keeps somehow upsetting the Koreans it actually means at least one bloody match in the tournament has some in entertainment value or like interest I actually think essentially like this is what I don't get I always say a tournament format it, you're, you are actually essentially supposed to work backwards from what you want to get at the end. You're selecting for something using the format. So all I would say is this. If you asked Riot Games to summarise in two sentences what their format selects for, I think you would very quickly find, A, they probably can't answer that question, and B, if they did, you would realise how utterly shit the tournament is. <laughs> how do you think they came about this? Like, how, how do you think this was even landed on? Can, can you guys see any logic to how we ended up with something so just monstrously unentertaining? I mean, as far as I can tell, it's still... Uh, also the people where what they say in public isn't necessarily what they really think and they're doing it based on. But I will say, some of the things they've said publicly about their events do sort of jive with, if you were picking the formats, this is what you might pick. They do seem to always lean into the whole United Colours of Benetton angle of like, the whole world together, playing our game, United as a foot. And like, it's all that shit, isn't it? So it's not, sadly, it's not about competition or making the best. It's Like, if you look at the format, this format does similar to Worlds. It's about getting every bloody region, combining them into one, and having basically like order get to play a bunch of games against G2 and EG. That, so that somehow to Riot is really important for some. For me, it's very unimportant, but for them, that does seem to be a priority that like everyone gets a sort of crack at some exposure or, or even I'd say the, the naive dream that anyone could win in theory from any region like you really could be an oceanic team and win the tournament in their minds I think and the, di the difference seemed to be this time by the way that no one seemed to be entertained or interested by these aspects that as you say right right have typically oh. placated to but what do you what do you think Yaska like as when you were viewing this tournament what were sort of your prevailing thoughts about what what went wrong here like what what were your issues or what did you like maybe if anything I, I mean that that would be a really hard question to ask but in general with the format i feel like it's maybe somehow they're kind of trying to just be like regular sports in some way but then try to semi-adapt it to an esports format and just like a lot of sports just have really crap formats and like the whole franchise league system it, it makes sense that they'd be trying to copy that and also it's just like uh, a lot of people in Riot really weren't esports people, I assume, back when they were first creating these formats, 2014, 2015. And they just have too much ego to sort of like change it. Because if they change the format now, then they would have to admit that all of the formats and everything that has been going wrong in the past was something that they could have fixed this entire time. So if next MSI format, they actually suddenly do something differently, then everyone's going to be asking Riot, why didn't you change this six plus years ago? I feel like they're just too deep in to really change anything. And as long as we don't actually see the unknown of what this tournament and what the Riot esports scene could look like if they fix their formats, then everyone can sort of just pretend that LOL esports is fine and that this is just something that's completely normal because 
hey, it has the most viewership, hypothetically. So therefore, it's the best esports format possible. Yeah, I think and you made it. A... Oh, sorry, mm -hmm. go on, finish. Uh, no, that's that finish up. Okay. Point. Yeah, no, I was saying, I think it's a really good point about I I can't speak to the super most recent hires they've done, but they certainly for a really long time just kept bringing in traditional sports people on like an assembly line, thinking that this was going to accelerate the growth of the product or whatever. I mean, to give you guys a real world example, which I think is actually a really nice sort of parallel to this. I don't know if you're aware of um, there's a tennis tournament called the Lever Cup, which is basically the tennis equivalent of the Ryder Cup. For people who don't know, it's Europe against the rest of the world. And that tournament format absolutely fucking sucks. And basically what it does is you play a bunch of games, some singles, some doubles, uh, sort of, uh, again, akin to sort of Ryder Cup pairings and match play and so on. And then when you reach like the final day, all the points that you accumulate on both sides to see who wins or who doesn't win get like doubled or tripled or something stupid to make sure that the tournament always builds towards this grand ending. It's sort of like when Formula One wanted to give double points for the last race of the year thing, which was a complete fucking travesty, right? And just undoes the work of whoever was leading for however long. And it seemed in a way, obviously it's not quite the same, but basically we as fans or observers had to suffer through literally almost 100, if my maths is correct, meaningless BO1s, basically. Like the vast majority of them were fairly meaningless, only to then be, like, rewarded at the end with the only uh, three series which actually meant anything. And in, realistically, some could have argued two series would have been interesting. But essentially, we were left with one series. Out of the hundreds, possibly, of games that were played, one fucking series which actually mattered. Um, so, yeah, to me, that's kind of mind-blowing. And saying along sort of similar lines... I want to ask you guys, and I'll start with you on this story. And obviously, we've talked in the past plenty of times about, you know, what formats could you do to change worlds? And, you know, why don't we just duplicate the, the sort of uh, the international whatever for MSI and stuff like this? I want to talk to you guys about something which has obviously been hypothesized and talked about by the community a lot, which is the idea of a World Cup, right? Now, obviously, in my mind, at least, this wouldn't be something that replaces MSI. I think we're dying to have more you know, international team-related tournaments as possible as it is, right? Like, we only get two a year anyway. But what are your guys' thoughts on something like the League of Legends Nations World Cup, where, for example, you have a Team Korea, a Team China, a Team uh, Denmark, whatever. Is this an idea that's appealing to you guys? And obviously, format forgiving or whatever, would you be interested in something like this? I mean, let's say it deletes fucking All-Stars or something like that, or, for, you know, if MSI is going to stay in the same... Uh, format as it is next year would you rather have something like a world cup instead of that with a semi-decent format would that be more of interest or do you think yes so so the thing about the whole like world cup style format is not only is it like super um skewed towards certain countries it's it's the selection for teams is based on these sort of like arbitrary like bounds that we call like countries where it's like there's one country that has 100 million players and then another country that has 20 million. Like, all of America is one country, yet all of Europe is like 50 different countries. So it, it's it's based on this sort of like completely arbitrary ground. And there is not a big national scene in this tournament, uh, in this format. I would think that it would be a more interesting format if it was in the sort of like tier two system where you don't necessarily have the best teams playing in this but maybe you have like european regional leagues you have like a tier two chinese league uh maybe like challengers korea and then you have like sort of those teams play together that might be where you could make this format more interesting but i, I don't think it would garner the amount of interest that people would think if it was on the tier one level i think his idea is actually one of the only versions i've heard that would make this have any interest because essentially if it was challenger level players the what the if people don't know that's the league below lck if it's those koreans maybe it's actually re reasonably fair if you have them play against like you could obviously make loads of erl teams the french team would be half decent if you did that i don't know how good the german team would be the polish team would be very good the danish team the problem is this it's not a very good idea for a former anyone here's how you know the people who always recommend it have never even sat down and thought through the tournament go on sit down and make the team list and make me eight teams that i would want to watch you can't even make three the reason i say you can't even make three is because remember europe split up so it goes like this korea is amazing 
China's amazing. By the way, Korea and China would be so absurdly better than the third best team that it's worse than the current MSI format. Like in MSI, a G2 has a chance. Every now and then, an NA team has an outside chance. If you make it only United States of America, that team has zero chance of ever doing anything at this tournament. If you make it, by the way, beyond, but even even when people go, what about Denmark? You're in the past, mate. You couldn't make a Danish lineup now that could beat the Chinese or the Korean teams. That don't exist anymore. You won't even get all five positions, I'm telling you. Try and do it in your mind. You won't get it unless you're going from people years and years ago. And once you go beyond that, here's what you find. Because it's a half-baked idea, you get half-baked lineups. So I'll give you an example. Certain countries, Croatia, Slovenia, they almost look like they have mega teams. Almost. Keyword almost. There'll be two players on each team that aren't top level players and make the whole team collapse. And again, you have zero chance against Korea and zero chance against China. So the problem with this format is this. People haven't thought through why they like the World Cup in soccer, right? In, in soccer, Rich, do you go, what's the lineup for England? I'm nah, not watching this World Cup. No, you watch because you, you already have a background in soccer. Two, there are fuck all really good soccer tournaments outside of the Champions League. Oh, did I hurt everyone's feelings? It's true. It's a dog shit sport with terrible formats. That's why we're more runs go. But in football, you and North FC can fuck off with football. Take a fucking Trent Bitter, shove it up your ass. I don't care about your dog shit sport. That's why I watch the computer games on the video screen. I don't want your shit sports. Otherwise, I wouldn't need video games, would I? So the problem I think overall is like the reason I watch the World Cup is because it's England. I watch even if the team shit one, people watch you from fucking Scotland and their team hasn't been relevant in about 40 years or something mental the whole point is you don't watch for how good the lineup is in esports by definition the real joke about all the riot formats is none of us watch because of our country none of us watch because of our reason we watch how good the fucking teams are here's the real joke you know that concept that like oh you need all the things for the viewership I'm not joking if you put it during reasonable hours for NANEU you could have the whole tournament be the top four Korean teams against the top four Chinese teams no one else is even allowed and I think it would break every viewership record. I think it's mental that we're still on this conceit that, like, I already watched LEC if, like, someone like fucking Reckless is there. Mate, if FIPO was there instead, I'd watch more. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I think as well what's funny is that people don't realise just how close, in some ways, EU Masters actually is to their wet dream anyway. Like, because basically the only thing that's of, like, massive interest to them is like, oh, yeah, a, a Danish team could be really good. Oh, what about a Swedish lineup? It's like... Well, actually, if you just made the residency rule a little bit stricter, that would literally be EU Masters. But oh. you avoid the problem of everyone getting dumpstered by China and Korea by just having it as an inter-Europe tournament, right? And you could have, like, the Nordic teams. Or, again, obviously, NLC is, like, Nordic and UK or whatever. Like, you could just tighten up the restrictions slightly. Oh, you have to have, for this one fun one-off tournament, it's actually five French players that you need to represent the LFL. And then you actually do have their wet dream of oh wow Denmark versus uh, France or whatever so yeah I, I agree I, and I think people don't realize just how close E-Masters is to that and I think you're getting an accurate representation of how interesting that is to people it is pretty interesting and the people who watch it watch EU Masters which is why EU Masters viewership is pretty good but obviously not as good as something like the best Chinese team playing against the best Korean team or whatever so I think it actually already somewhat exists and if you just looked at the team lineups from some past EU Masters tournaments and tweaked a few players here or there you'd actually have what you fucking wanted anyway so yeah I think that's always been a strange one but um Chris. anyway yeah sorry go on there's also two other tournaments which are pretty similar to this. I think it was in 2020 around the MSI time. There was all of the Asian teams had their own sort of like region or their own team. I, I think it was 2020 MSI time because MSI didn't exist then. Uh, where it was like the Chinese team, the Korean team, all of the other Asian teams. And the Chinese and Korean team stomped every single team 15 minutes over and over and over again. And eventually it was the final where I believe China won. Uh, so that was already format that happened. And there was a like the collegiate international, which did have collegiate teams from around the world. Uh, and that happened in China in like 2019. So that's, th there's already two other examples of that and they just don't really garner interest. Although they all are in sort of like tier two scene. Yeah, you could also, uh, to what you said originally, Yaska, you could also have some interesting dynamic, kind of like an old school olympian slash sort of super old school uh, tennis parallel as well where the idea of like these super young players who are coming through whether it's in lec academy teams or just erl teams or what have you who can opt in to play this cool 
into Europe, let's say, international tournament, and but then at the point where they go fully pro, you're no long, longer eligible, right? So then again, it becomes like a breeding ground tournament rather than um, this this World Cup thing, which again, as you guys have both said, I think the idea in people's heads of what that would look like on paper is massively different to that what the yeah, reality yeah. would be. And after one event, no one would want to watch it again. Um, and I, yeah. I think that's what the Olympics is in a lot of sports, like amateur yes. uh, boxing, boxing in the Olympics. Yeah. Like there, there's never the pros there. Uh, oftentimes in like a, like the basketball, it's not all of the actual top pros going because they just kind of know that they're probably going to win anyway. Um, it's, so uh, the it, same, it already I mean, exists. In... This also yeah. wouldn't be as good even in terms of the players people are thinking of. First of all, does anyone enjoy all-star tournaments? I don't. I think they're boring as fuck. The joke yeah. is even Rift Rivals had real teams because it was an exhibition. No one cared about any of the results. Even the teams were like, who cares about if we won or lost? So I think the problem people are underestimating at this point in time is like, you wouldn't actually care that much about this sort of format, I'm telling you. Like, you think you would, but the level of league would be so low. Because here's the thing. We had basically a better version of this in CS 1.6. We had a tournament at the World Cyber games which was like olympic style rules so you had back when you had real teams that were just from one country it meant if you were from like fucking finland or sweden or denmark yeah you had a mega good chance of winning the tournament but there was also real teams and by the way all that did is just make it a slightly worse version of a normal tournament because like for example a german team would nearly always have like an austrian guy in it so then he can't play so you have to bring a sub in so all it made is just a slightly worse version of a normal esports tournament and like as that should imply we already lack real esports tournaments in League of Legends so let's not make fantasy ones let's just use the real teams that currently exist the stupid thing is I think almost every problem in the league circuit is based on the restrictive league circuit like I made a suggestion the last year for what I thought was an obvious one where you do the NLB approach that they used to have in Korea so have the teams that don't make the playoffs in LEC drop down where they play in EU Masters or something I think that would be a fucking sick angle there's something for those ERL teams to shoot for to try and prove you're better than them by the way if you're the lower team Think if you were a team like SK or Astralis who get mocked for their lineup. Imagine you go and murk all the EU Masters teams and K Corp and stuff. Tell you what, they can't talk shit on you then. And I even think those players, by the way, it even would go somewhere to fixing that whole thing where the Jesklers of the world just constantly, it's whiplash between fucking ERL and LEC because they're too good for the ERLs. And then everyone says they're trash when they're LEC. So I, I even feel like it might fix some of that problem because you'd see that these guys would actually dominate ERLs. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think... Uh, uh... Apart from anything else, I think, you know, we should basically forget about these kind of World Cup ideas, or whatever. And as you say, I'd like to see some a cool, like, sort of domestic or whatever you want to call it, parallel tournament, like maybe in separate path to worlds. Like if, for example, your your international coefficient is sufficiently high that Europe or whoever gets four world slot one year, that the fourth slot is some straight up parallel gauntlet competition, which is like all best of five or something that runs alongside. I think that'd be really cool. And you could space it out a little bit more by removing um, some of these yeah dog shit because that's a, my biggest issue with msi format and everything else aside even though this is technically a format issue it's too long it's needlessly long it's like they've decided that all of these tournaments are at minimum two week to no you, i mean i i just gave a very basic example of one on twitter where you can literally just do a straight up bo5 double limb bracket from the start where no team's going home immediately so don't cry to me about oh but the poor you know teams from the wild card no they get to play at least two bo5s in a double elimination tournament and if you lose two bo5s immediately guess what you deserve to go home and no one could complain about that and you could fit that shit in a week and it loses nothing and every series would be super hype Every matchup would actually mean something and it builds towards something in a, you know, in a much better paced way, in my opinion. And guess what? You can actually prep for your fucking games because that's something people haven't really talked about with MSI. Like they're playing whatever, like nine BO1s in three days. Like who's prepping for those? Like what do you want from the staff? So that's my biggest issue. Even the specifics of the format aside, the stretching it out over two weeks needlessly is just stupid and it's taking away from potential other international tournaments we could put together. But... Having said that, obviously, despite all the shortcomings of the tournament and it generally being disappointing, the final, as I said, was at least somewhat competitive. Um, so following up on that, my question to you, and I'm going to go to you first, Yasker, on this, is which of the two finalists out of RNG and SK do you believe will be better positioned to win Worlds? So uh, to quickly answer your question, I think it's probably going to be SKT, but... Like, there, there's so many problems that always kind of happen with SKT where it feels like they're predestined to win these things and all of a sudden there's just some kind of weird, like, draft error or something that just makes it to where the team just doesn't win, where they're just kind of 
inflexible in a lot of these things. Like uh, the thing that we saw in the finals was that they just kept on giving Gwen every single time on blue side. Like they banned Jax over Gwen. None of the counters that they actually had to Gwen actually worked. And it, it seems like maybe Zeus was like, hey, yo, trust me, I can play against Gwen, but never got any lead against it. Uh, they were never able to make any plays. And even if it wasn't exactly the Gwen carrying the game, Gwen is just such a safe champion that it prevents you from ever making any plays on the top side. And since how Gumiyushi is... One thing about the current SKT lineup is that they have the highest ceiling with a player like Gumiyushi, but he's not a very... Um, he's not a very reliable player who you know is always going to have a really like solid skill level. Like there's just going to be times where he just ints. Like he's a little bit more like the shy. Whereas it made a lot of sense when they did have Teddy plus uh, Gumiushi because you have Teddy who is more like Duke. Um, where if you have a, a time where you feel like you want to just play through topside, you just put in Duke or put into the Duke, which is Teddy and then you just play the more reliable, safe bot side, something like a Prey style, and then then you reliably play through top side. I, I feel like there is a big problem with SKT right now in that they can play through all five lanes. Or all They can play through all lanes. They can play through all roles. They have Karia, who's the best player in the world. Um, but because they can play through so many different styles, that having that amount of uh, creative space, it actually might just be worse for them because... If you had somebody like a Teddy and that you knew that you're not going to try to carry through Teddy, but then you play through the top side, then it makes the game a lot simpler to play, which might be a better thing because like so many of these draft issues, just I, I don't know what they're thinking with this. And because they have so many options, it just makes it to where they're more likely to take the bad option. Sure. And Thorin, do you think that or how how much because obviously this was a, a common theme throughout that people were saying that SKT are just inting draft like consistently and obviously you know the 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 plebeian maths would be oh well they went five games so if they just fixed draft they're the best team. like what, what's your take on this do you think it was just draft or do you do you see major major holes here right this is one of these scenarios where I always have to remind people that because they were on the opposite sides of the bracket in the playoffs and they were the teams that were just the two best teams at the tournament the odds that these teams have scrimmed each other loads of times in the three weeks prior is ridiculously high like so as a result when I see things like order who is one of the absolutely the best junglers in Korea just have four games in a row of Wukong but then give way like the only champions he's going to do anything on that actually implies to me that you're trying to patch up all elsewhere in the draft when you do that like I can't believe they actually think way is better than order that doesn't make any sense at all to me so the idea there's no adaptation there that implies to me like this is just this is something I had to do to make the comps work so I don't know who it was in the draft who was the hole or the leak or what happened to them in scrims but that was one of the things I found the most shocking and obviously it's why the final was kind of whack because spoiler blue side just won every single fucking game like at that point in time is it even the teams winning the games isn't it just who can get onto that side more because this, this with another one of those classic riot tournaments where one side just has to ban extra stuff but the problem is to a pleb that stuff never gets in from that side so they don't actually know why there's a problem with the draft because they but what do you mean that was that champion wasn't a problem yeah because no one played it it was never allowed in the bloody game so i think overall the problem with this tournament is it's also the reason why it doesn't surprise me that not just china but rng specifically these last two rng lineups that have won msi if people don't know they actually aren't the best LPL team they were neither time just somehow those teams managed to get through the right opponent it was even nearly always the bracket they had to get the right opponents in the LPL playoffs but they would win always by small margins because if you see the Xiaohu teams they just win by like they're essentially like the fucking team embodiment of perks they're never going to smash the game but they just win by being a little bit more cunning a little bit more shrewd and making a couple of decisions that you don't necessarily see if you're a pleb so the problem I have is this that's brilliant to beat one opponent and in fact you notice both times they won they're beating an opponent that's supposed to be all those things way more skilled you can't stop them blah 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 they could draft kingdom etc but they always what I love about RNG is they just have their own draft meta mate. they don't they don't actually seem to give a flying fuck what the Koreans do and that seems to work in this tournament problem is though when you come to Worlds Worlds is the ultimate tournament it's all about the bracket and who you get in what group so in my opinion if you go to Worlds I think the LPL is still favoured overall but that's because you get to send more teams so the thing is I didn't even think RNG was like the best team they could have sent from the LPL to like monster the tournament and smash everything so I would actually say out of the two I would say T1 has the best chance to win Worlds I also think 
you can't ignore this was the bullshit thing where China isn't even at the tournament and then you have the fucking 35 ping like these things matter I think they do actually add to it I know it's shit as a complaint because at the end of the day it was like the same conditions but that's also the logic people use in sports when like the pitch is rained out and we play a game of football where you can't even properly run like that's not a game of football at that point so, yeah someone won it was equal conditions but it's not a game of football is it and yeah. one team might also have more experience playing on a rainy turf like Oh yeah. Like the the home advantage is for RNG, not not as sort of like a meme of them playing in their facilities, but they played on 35 ping their entire league careers because sure. they play on the Korean servers. Whereas like T1 has never played on 35 ping aside from a couple weeks leading into this tournament. So it, it just I I wouldn't take these results. I don't say that T1 deserves to win this because they don't, but I wouldn't take it as such a decisive win for RNG. Uh, it's because everyone in the world when they play a solo queue it's a less or Korean is going to have that sort of ping you're just not ever going to get a shoulder to cry on I'm afraid if you're the T1 players and you go it's unplayable because their logic goes what do you mean I've been playing it my whole career and there's some moral like double upside it's fine at 70 ping I think it's okay except the problem there is like they're right by the way the Koreans are right if people don't know in Counter-Strike Swedish and Finnish and Norwegian and Danish all the Scandinavian Nordic countries they would battle for half an hour over five ping on the server because they knew that if I'm the one with the 10 ping and you're the one with the 15 I have just like let's say a 20% better chance of winning this game because of how much precision I can get when I go down to the 10 ping as, as it, instead of if we were both on like 20 ping or something they would battle forever for that so the problem is I know in league it's just taken for granted actually as a game it's not as big a deal about ping but it does matter when we're talking about the best teams in the absolute world playing each other like, I think at that point those are the margins that can decide victory by yeah. the way, uh, just remind me, what was the the reason why RNG couldn't go to Korea? The problem with that is it sort of changed because initially, I think Monty thought it was the thing to do with the Asian games that they were supposedly, like they did, wouldn't have had time to like quarantine or something when they got back. I can't remember what way around it was. But I believe on top of that, this is obviously not said publicly for obvious reasons, Rich. Everyone's fucking locked in their houses and apartments in China. That is a real thing. You are not allowed to leave. If you didn't see, there was even a, like a, I'd say a scandal, but no one gives a shit in esports. Basically on the first few days, the reason why RNG, as far as I remember, didn't even have like the actual real headsets with the labels on you couldn't get anything into them this is mental mate like they, they may as well be like held hostage in a fucking martian colony with teleporters like that's the fucking level that we're on with this so as far as i can tell they just could not they logistically could not physically have attended the event yeah because i remember when it was first announced my first instinct was why wouldn't you just if there's a team specific issue why wouldn't you just sub in another team if they have to play the asian games or whatever but as you said i don't think any seems... lpl team would have been able to yeah. attend essentially it didn't matter yeah. who i don't think right cool so in terms of obviously we have to touch on this even though it was fairly ugly for both sort of sides of the pond from the western interest perspective i want to get your guys thoughts on what we learned if anything from starting with EG, but also G2. Yaska, do you feel like we learned anything about EG from this tournament? Like, do you, do you feel that by summer, Peter Dunn and co are going to morph this team into something who can do something at Worlds? Or how, how do you feel about EG after this tournament? By the way, just to remind people for context, and this, I guess, kind of highlights what we said at the start about how ludicrously stupid this format is. Keep in mind that EG took part in a major international semi-final having played either 12 or 13 i guess it must have been 12 it must have been an even number 12 games against major region teams and won one of them and obviously these are bo1s and somehow they're in a semi-final so yeah yaska what what's your take on eg from this tournament and do you have any hope again we're not thinking about na here we're thinking about internationally what what's the potential ceiling of this team based on observable evidence so far one of the craziest things is comparing this to the sort of Cloud9 of last year is that Cloud9 took a game off of every single major region team last MSI, and their MSI was considered a failure. EG takes a single game off of T1, and then they're just, like, amazing. Like, it was perfect success for, compared to, like, just with all of the hopium from NA people, they think that, oh, hey, this wasn't a major disappointment because we took one game off of T1. Like, I, I think that Cloud9's run last MSI gave me so much more hope because they were actually able to take games off of them. And so what if they lost a, a best of one to a wildcard team, an Oceanic team? 
I, I would much rather have a team that has sort of higher ceilings, even if they are a little bit more variable than a team that reliably beats on the wild cards, but then has no chance against the top teams. Uh, I, I feel like it really just shows that EG just kind of doesn't belong at this tournament. I, I don't think that they're going to be the best NA team going into Worlds. Like, I, I think that the Cloud9 roster just looks really, really good. And Team Liquid roster could easily just make it back into being really good again. So I, I don't think that... I, I think that EG could be a team where if they're like the third seed at Worlds, like they could do reasonably something. Um, I, I don't think that they're going to like get out of groups or do anything impressive like that. Uh, they might go 3-3 in a group, picking up one game against like a Chinese team uh, and still just not making it out. But I, I feel like the other NA teams would have much more of a hope in terms of doing anything internationally. I wouldn't be surprised if Cloud9 makes it to quarters. Uh, I don't think Team Liquid is going to make the quarters, but yeah, that, that would be my predictions. This is just where, like, uh, there's a great quote that I've, I've heard uh, coaches sometimes say when they coach a team that's, like, considered an underdog, but they believe it's actually, like, a legit real team and, just, you know, people don't give us our credit. What you say is when you win the big match, you get into, like, the semi-final or the final, you tell your players, act like you belong here. Don't act like, fuck, you've already won the championship because you beat that big dog and you're in the semis now. If you're a real team who ever had a chance to win... Job ain't done, but you wait until you win the final. Like you sort of keep it tempered. You could see, by the way, EG and all the NA supporters acted about that one bo one. Fucking hell! That like the joke is they had to get in all that praise. It was only one game. They had to go mental for like twelve hours and then just fucking settle back down. They were even trying to do all the implications, like because technically EU could have like lost out all its games and not. But they were like, oh, maybe EU just need make it. It's like at the end of the day, add those numbers up. Who, who did better? Shut the fuck up, idiots. So yeah, I thought the whole thing was totally overblown. I thought it was very, very silly. I mean, for a start off, if the idea of winning one BO1 over a major region is good, then you know that joke that Peter Don made where he goes, with Jensen, I guess we would have won 4-0 in the final. You know what, mate? Every international tournament Jensen attends, he wins one of those games at least. Every one. You know what I didn't even say with which team? It doesn't matter with which team. Any version of Cloud9, any version of Team Liquid, he's going to win one or two games against major agents. So, actually, that does make your team look like a joke. Because what you're saying is, I have the team I want with the players I want that I picked, that I crafted, that I moulded in the team, that I drafted for, that I brought in, by the way, some of the best players in the West to surround. And after all that, fluking one game against a team one that every now and then will just throw a baron, that's, that's success. In what fucking world? Like, I was, either the region's shit or your team's shit. I don't know which you're admitting. I mean, you tell me. I don't really get what you're bragging about at that point in time. I'd find it shameful to lose that many games if I really believed my team was competent and could play and that the scrims meant something and we would gain experience. There's the other thing. Gaining experience for what? This is like when like, that guy in CSGO, James, saves the AWP. It's like, you know you don't get to take him out of this game. You can only save within this game. Like, you have to do something with it in this match. You don't it's like store 10 AWPs for the next series. Like, what experience? Like, here's the dumbest part about that angle when they go, well, now Danny and uh, Jojo have got experience. I, I under the impression Jawahu and Faker don't gain experience when they keep playing tournaments. Do they not learn anything? Do they have to stay at their level while Danny just keeps going up like some sort of Naruto show or something? Spoiler, while they're, they're all gaining experience, Except the joke is they're outstripping you and you're just gaining 1%. They're probably putting 20% on their shit. People like, we were a joke coming to this tournament. He won't be a joke next time he comes and plays, mate. He's got a few years of experience under his belt now. So, like, I think all the narratives are just absolutely whack as fuck for NA. I don't really get the whole angle. Even the fact that they were bragging. Dude, here's you, you'll have seen this on Twitter. Anyone who made the mistake of saying you already won one out of 13 games, they all say what? Yeah, but we yeah, but we swept all the minor regions, though. Oh, you managed to sweep the minor regions with Impact, a real-world champion, one of the most consistent players ever, playing in top lane in a meta where you can play tanks. And who was in your jungle? Oh, an MVP of the LEC. And you managed to sweep against minor regions. Well, fucking hell. Fucking hell. What expectations did you have? I mean, by that logic, by the way, they'd probably still say the same thing if they'd just won 80% of the games against the minor regions. Like, the NA is the most underwhelming fucking region in the history of esports. Because, man alive, you know how, in, in general, those guys would all be like, I hate participation culture. You are participation culture, you fucking idiots. <laughs> with, with that said, though, do you, to play sort of a devil's advocate, and I'll, I'll use this to go back to, to G2, which is obviously the other Western interests here, do you think sometimes we're in danger of 
yo-yoing too much off the back of domestic splits and then going into international performances and by that what i mean is obviously eg ran the lower bracket three zero three zero three like you know by far the best na team at least on, on in terms of results whatever obviously they go to an international event they can only get one bo5 after 750 million bo1 games off a, a major region team do you think and i'll, I'll go back to you thorin with this about g2 do you think for example there's going to be warped expectations on how weak potentially G2 might be because of the perception of how we perform against the major regions. Like, obviously, we have to contextualize that, yes, they got swept by T1, but are T1 simply just that much better? Or is it actually a case of, well, to be honest, you know, styles make fights and maybe Rogue actually could have done a, done a lot better and maybe, uh, or, or to, to invert it, or actually, yeah, no, it does mean that G2 aren't that great. And when they go back, they can't even be expected to see uh, to win LEC. Like, how do you see G2 going into summer? Do you think there's an element that actually maybe they won't do as well? Or do you think this tournament doesn't say much about what their expectations should be? I don't think it matters as much, not least because, first of all, the bottling of G2 are rookies, complete rookies. They have no experience whatsoever playing at that level. So I know fans do this thing, which just shows that why League of Legends is a shit tournament circuit. Because in CSGO, people get this. Like, in CSGO, no one would be stupid enough to be like, but he played in, like, a national LAN two years ago, so why wouldn't he perform at the major? Because, you know, it's a totally different fucking set of circumstances. Like, you reset that tournament fucking experience because it's a different level of tournament. So, to me, I, already, I actually thought, if anything, those players in the bot lane G2 overperformed at times in this tournament. Like, I actually thought people like Targarmus got off team fights you never would expect from a pure rookie. So I actually thought everything looked fine. They're the team that, if anything, actually looked like they might have gained the real experience that they can now use in summer and then potentially parlay that into some of the worlds. And then secondly, if you've ever seen any worlds tournament ever, you'll know that being the number one seed from your region means absolutely fuck all. I mean, the joke is because of how terrible the seeding system is, it can actually fuck you. Famously, there's nearly always a number one seed, it's nearly always NA, where you just get bot fucked because you just get like China and Korea number two seeds in your groups or spoiler they're better than you are as a one seed so I think if you look like the LPL is the best example ever I don't care who wins the LPL the odds are like it, the team that wins world might not even be the number one seed like you've seen that many many times that's why I think for regions like LCK and LPL that fourth seed was so important and that crucially that ends up being what sometimes determines who wins world because the amount of times I've seen a team just miss out and it's like oh they might not have beaten these LPL teams if they would have murdered like these two LPL LTK teams, all the European... Like, that can happen, in my opinion. So, I, I don't think G2 will be the best European team, but that's because I didn't think they were anyway. I thought they just had a brilliant playoffs run, and I thought they... And by the way, here's the other thing. I think the coaches actually did, like, figure some things out in the draft that were really innovative and people didn't keep up with them. I don't think that carries over to the next split. Yeah, what, what about you, Jaska? What do you think of G2 after this tournament versus, I guess, what you maybe thought about them going in? Yeah, on the G2 angle, it's like Flacid could have easily been somebody who's still just playing in the ERLs this this split. Um, if like G2 got Viper or something, like it, it, it's very real that this person could still be in the ERLs in a different universe. So it's like I, I wouldn't expect them to do amazingly on the world stage. Uh, they are sort of like true rookies, so it does make sense that they would gain a little bit more experience. I I think that they definitely showed a lot more like promise. They had a much more higher level in the sense of the the games that they did win against SKT and RNG were games that sort of like they they mattered more. They were in the first games, games that would be more easily uh, games that since they're the first games, there would be a lot more prep for them as opposed to the later uh, best of or the later best of ones. So I, I think there would be more hope in G2 doing something. And I, I was overall, like, I, I felt like they played pretty well. Um, still just, it's just too high of a bar to sort of get. Everybody, everybody on their team did underperform in the SKT series, or maybe they're just not that good compared to SKT. Um, I don't think that they're even close to being anything to world beaters coming into worlds. But I, I would expect them to show a decent showing, maybe upping a LCK or Korean team. But once they face the sort of juggernauts of whoever is the strongest LCK or LPL team on the world's patch, they're probably just going to get smashed again, just like they did in the finals of 2019, even though it's not the exact, it's not the same team at all. But they're just going to get smashed when they actually come up to whatever the strongest team is at Worlds. Do you guys think they got kind of downloaded and figured out? Because obviously, you know, all their wins were basically stacked during the first half of the tournament and they got wins off 
you know, the, the top teams, right? All of the top major region teams and then had a completely barren patch. Do you feel like maybe those teams just adapted to what they were doing? Or do you think there were other reasons why they just couldn't even scratch the surface when they played against them again? I don't think it helped that fucking Broken Blade just seemed absent from most of the tournament. Like, this was a guy that was supposed to be like, hey, maybe he's the best top laner in EU. He is going to... Remember, at this tournament on paper, like, he's supposed to be able to beat that bin guy. Like, that's actually... There was all... This was one of the rare positions where EU should have had a chance. I thought he did fuck all this tournament, man. And then once people banned all, he just irrelevant, wasn't he? <laughs> yeah. The joke is you'll know when Broken Blade has one good game, he'll be all over Dom's Twitter for half an hour. <laughs> but this this but the broken blade scenario okay the broken blade thing is the classic case of results-based analysis because people were saying going into the rogue uh g2 series like oh battle of the top laners should be a good one or whatever and i'm sat there thinking yeah maybe but i mean based on regular season which doesn't mean much auto body dim in both the games that they played against each other and then in the first two games even though rogue lost them both he was losing as well. He was losing top as well. But because he won top lane in the third game, and obviously they won the third game, and that was a decisive game, which meant they won the whole thing, the, the takeaway was that Broken Blade had the better series, which I find just laughable. Oh, and also, by the way, I'd clarify on the, the, the Flax thing, just to sort of lay it out from the people who have no understanding of what nuance is and can only live in the realms of a black and white universe. When I said that I think Flax is much better than I thought he was. What I mean is, I literally had this guy as a top 30 AD carry in Europe. And by the way, that's not even necessarily a diss. Like, if you know the ERLs well, there are so many fucking good AD carries in the ERLs, it's crazy. And now I think he's probably top 10, which a cynic could say, oh, so he could be the worst AD carry in LEC, given a certain format. Yeah, he could. I don't think he is. I think there are some in the ERLs that are better than some in the LEC, for example. But he is now, in my opinion, probably a top 10 ADC. But for all of you, especially Spanish people, sitting there, ha, see, he's finally realised the truth. In your head, the truth is that he's better than Hans Sammer and Reckless. That's Gosh, what you actually yeah. believe. You actually believe that I'm saying he's better than Hans Sammer and Reckless. No, I'm saying he is, should not be immediately kicked and thrown in a dungeon of ERLs never to play an LEC again. That's what I'm saying. And that's the new Adam, mate. He's the new yeah, Adam. It's... That's all you need to know. Mm -hmm. yeah, he's by the way, he's to, uh, again, just to, to be absolutely, you know, crystal clear, I think he's pretty good. I think he's decent, but decent does not mean like fucking top three, top five in the West. No, he's not there yet, but he's young. Yeah. He's a rookie. Like he, maybe he could be absolutely like, I, I, I definitely don't rule it out. But uh, and anyway, yeah. And what Carlos said about uh, a big reason why they sort of put Flackett on is sort of like a team culture. Uh, if he fits well with the G2 players and sort of like a personality sense, then even if he is a worse AD carry, he could just make the team a lot better because uh, players like Caps and Yankos might need to have a more like relaxed team atmosphere where they can just kind of get along with people. Whereas compared to their last AD carry, uh, it was a completely different show where it's just not like you take the worst vibes AD carry that they had last year. And then if you get an AD carry that has amazing vibes, it would make Yankos and Caps play just way better. You yeah. know when the morons go, yeah, but it's just logical, isn't it? He's Spanish, and we're Spanish, so we're spotting. Yeah, I'm not Spanish, so I don't need to give a flying fuck, do I? Last time okay. I cared about Spain, the fucking king of Spain was getting his beard burned by Francis Drake or whatever. <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I don't really give a fuck about that. It's just old school disses from the military history of Great Britain. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> That, that Drake did absolutely wreck you. So yeah, all, that's all I've got because Real Madrid did ruin all my dreams, Rich. So all I've got is Francis Drake in the fucking... <laughs> there also is another thing of like Broken Blade not being able to play like Gwen well, um, constantly giving it over, constantly trying to get power Oh, it's power perfect. Picks. There's another example of a player like, I've got the counters, mate. You can't even play the champion all the counters, so shut the fuck yeah. up. And then that's the other the thing is, just look at the way they drafted as well. Mate, as soon as they drafted the way they did in the first games against T1, it was like, well, there's all that cap shit is out the window immediately, and they're not even trying that, mate. They're not even trying to load this guy up as the superstar carry. Because there's the other thing, by the way. That's also why I actually do. Here's why it's actually mildly alarming the way they drafted. That's different, Orich. Because in the playoffs, they drafted like Flackhead isn't there to be the tertiary carry and do his job and have grip. They, they drafted like he was fucking OZI, mate. This is stupid yeah. as fuck, some of the shit they were doing. They were doing like the pure global meta thing which I think is the worst way to draft in the whole game. The joke is, teams like EG and RNG actually got more out of their teams by not doing that type of drafting. They just draft to their strengths. Yeah, and um, it's the 
I can counter I can counter pick Gwen is the exact same thing that happened in the finals and none of the champions Kennen, Jace or Riven the champions that Broken Blade and Zeus played against Gwen none of them are actually really good counters and none of them actually worked uh, there are two champions that on this patch would have been really good counters uh, Pantheon just absolutely dominates Gwen like every single thing about Gwen is just completely murked by Pantheon and it's a completely unplayable matchup. It's so skewed towards Pantheon, and it's not a super hard champion to pick up that if they would have put in like 10, 15 games on that, that would have been a counter. But I also don't expect uh, SKT or T1 to do something like that of picking up a brand new champion on stage to counter this specific meta in this tournament. That's just not something they're going to do. Uh, another pick would have been Trinomir. Trinomir has a really uh, skewed matchup into Gwen because... He just stat checks Gwen and doesn't really care about her invulnerability at all. Um, but Zeus has played that champion twice, wasn't impressive either time. Uh, so I don't think either of those champions could have been picked up. I think Broken Blade could have played Trinomir into it. Uh, but those are champions that were available that are real Gwen counters. But just the two teams that could have countered Gwen just didn't know to play those champions. Yeah. And uh, I think sort of as a general holistic point, just to go back to what both of you were suggesting, I do think that G2 really prioritize when putting together the co uh, composition of their squads. And keep in mind, they now have like a really big sample size with their core pieces going back to knowing what works and doesn't work. They do seemingly, and they've said this publicly, it's not like some secret or something, they really value environment and the players gelling I guess outside of the game as well as inside of the game or at least having that same sort of like energy and I do feel again I'm, I don't know him well but Flack uh, does seem to fit that and by the way as someone who's lived through a Yankos and Forgiven relationship I it does not surprise me that the reckless experiment didn't work like he had zero tolerance so, you know when when you have a problem child on a team all the other four players are going to have different sort of levels on the spectrum for how much, you know, they're going to tolerate that person. He was by far and away like the fuck this guy, fuck this guy. I will not play with this guy another second. Fuck this guy. I'm going to scrim in my room. Fuck this guy. So yeah. All you need to know, mate, is, is when, when that shit, when it went to shit in G2, I won't say who, but one of their members just sent me a DM and all it said was, you were right, bro. <laughs> And they didn't mean as in I'd warned them about records, just all the shit I'd been saying over the years, they were like, you were right, bro. And I was like, well, I don't make it up for no reason. See, now what you well, now what you guys need to do is you need to go on advanced Twitter, type in bro in relation to all of those players' accounts and see which one pops the most and then make some ridiculous assumption about which one it was. There you go. Um, That'd be good speculation. Yeah. Right, moving swiftly on to someone else who I think we can all agree is a piece of shit. I don't think Reckless is a piece of shit, but he's a diva. Uh, someone who is actually a piece of shit. Uh, and our good old friend, Andy Ding, aka Reginald. So uh, for anyone who was sleeping under a rock last week, uh, TSM CEO Andy Ding announced the results of the independent outside investigation into uh, TSM via obviously a twit longer didn't he wrote a twit longer of course he did couldn't even do one of those uh was it what's that website called medium couldn't even do a medium article just went for a twit longer uh reggie claims that the investigation showed no unlawful conduct uh that's a who asked isn't it really in relation to the slew of complaints that have been levied against him by current and former employees over the last 12 months uh now obviously there's been a lot of reaction to this um on what has now been a really fucking lengthy ongoing saga at this point uh going back years really um and my question obviously thorin is what's your biggest takeaway from this never-ending soap opera what did you what were your first thoughts when you saw this brilliant twit longer from our good old friend reginald what's weird about all these things is this this just shows you how there is something utterly rotten with the concept of these like non-police based investigations that as you can see are based in no way there's no evidence in these cases there's no like video recording it's a what you're going off basically is you're sorting out a, a bunch of people's testimonies their opinion on what happened what he did if it was abusive blah 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 here's the interesting thing to me you'll notice how if the topic is like sexual allegations just an just an accusation alone 
is treated like, you know, there must be something to this. But somehow, if the same person, there's no sexual component, you just say, this guy was a terrible boss, he was abusive in, in terms of how he spoke to us, even in terms of the law, maybe he squeezed things. Somehow that all seems to just go, well, in the end of the day, it's just their opinion and our opinion, so who can know, right? You're innocent. And that's how the riot investigations seem to go. You'll also notice this has now become a popular trend where you yourself pretend like, I'm going to hire an investigation, an independent person and then investigate myself, as though that in itself would ever, like, work. And, you know, you notice at no point in time is there any sort of, like, chaperone system where you can't communicate with the people investigating or, at the end of the day, you can't, like, make demands of what they might not look at and look at. Again, the whole point there is watches the people doing the investigation so they're all just nonsense to me i did get one moment of enjoyment out of this tsm investigates tsm one which was i did see one comment sadly it was now voted it would have been funny if it was mega up voted i did see one comment where a guy just goes i hope this puts the matter to bed finally it's like <laughs> amazing 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 that a human being wrote that and then put send i'm the smart guy on the internet today because as unsurprisingly they were never going to find anything here's what i'd love to, i'd love people to actually do the thought exercise right follow this thought exercise through so at the end tsm finds out from their investigation that there was nothing illegal done that's their conclusion and they publish it right here's the question right imagine the investigation had come back to them and said oh you're not gonna like this uh, but we actually found loads of stuff is TSM under any obligation to publish that investigation? Is TSM under any obligation to write the news post? TSM investigates TSM and finds TSM guilty. Do you think in any universe, by the way, any lawyer would say, yeah, go ahead and just publish that like before the court? No, it's all just, it's utter theatre. It's just nonsense. So I think it's just funny. I will say, by the way, it's still worth doing if you're these companies. Because like I say, there'll be that moron who wrote that comment. There'll be someone who'll get tricked into this. I mean, I've even found people to this day, there are still people to this day, Rich, who come to me and they still say why did you bring that thing up about double lift and Lena? riot investigated their relationship and found there was no pro conflict of interest even though basic reading comprehension will show you the sentence that says they did not investigate the relationship they investigated everything else so and this is just more smoke and mirrors that seems very common in league of legends the real thing if people don't know about that story is like all the stuff about reginald being an arsehole spoiler everyone everyone did know that for 10 years it doesn't matter actually essentially just don't work at tsm unless you don't want to arsehole like that's your boss that's all you can say for the social angle the real meat and potatoes of this case has nothing to do with any of what you found in that investigation and it's whether or not it turns out that the, the interesting stuff about tsm may well have been abusing the contracting laws in california because if people don't know i actually knew this thread would get tugged on one day way back in time funnily enough along that incident where me and reginald sort of had our fucking gucci x riot collaboration when we did those interviews about the pea if you remember where there was going to be that league like Flashpoint and it was going to have all those American players in because here's what happened. People don't know this. Sean Gares himself, who at the time was a TSM player, he just joined the org. He said to me, one of the reasons why actually they are breaking the law if they demand we play in this league is because we're all li listed as contractors in their companies. And one of the re one of the rules apparently in California, if you're a contractor is, part of it is you just determine like the job to be done. It's supposed to be a finite job. And it's like, here's the job and here's like the delivery day but beyond that because they're not your employee there's a lot of like apparently like rumors to like how the contractor does it who they work with and what content like apparently you can't say said things to them like be here on monday morning at 9 a.m in our office in irvine like if you do that that's like what you do to an employee essentially at that point you pay for the guy's time you tell him where to be he has to be there so i've heard there's loads of like room in there where there's all sorts of legal fuckery could be um, a foot there that sounds to me like the interesting one because not only one could that actually fuck tsm but two the knock-on effect which apparently I, I, from what I've heard that might even be why the whole Tifu phase thing got solved like before it had to go all the way through the system that's one of those cases where it sounds like it's the benchmark case that could open so many fucking orgs and so much of esports. Think how much American esports is based out of LA that could just open and complete that Pandora's box that could wreck everyone it sounds like that um, the, the thing about uh, being contractors is actually really funny because basically the millisecond for those who don't know when the whole Sven Skeren th shit happened. That was during the exact time when we just, me and a Norwegian uh, investor group, had just sold the Norwegian shares to the American company. So that takeover had just gone through, and the the American company that bought the shares, they are basically all lawyers. It was basically a law firm essentially. So these people were like 
we don't care whatever we do like first things first is everything has to be by the book everything has to be correct they went through all our contracts and shit and they're like this is illegal this is illegal you can't Gosh. whatever you that they have to be employee uh, employees because they spend x amount of days here blah, blah blah whatever i'm like oh fucking hell right okay whatever so they do all that we pay all the back taxes off whatever i'm like okay right now it's the off season i go to speak to reggie because if people don't remember reggie for some reason thought it made sense to like call me about svenskeren and be look bro like the reason why Sven should come here is because we're going to do this this and this for him as if I give a flying fuck like don't why are you telling me that to me you can tell it to him if you like I guess but I don't need to hear this and one of the things Reggie said directly to me is he will be will be one of the first NA players to be treated as a full-time employee obviously implying that currently none of their fucking players are but moving forward that they're going to be doing this shit now as I said we had our own skeletons in the sense that we didn't know that they had to be treated as X, but we went back and retroactively corrected everything within the uh, legislative time frame where we hadn't actually technically done anything illegal as long as we paid the back fees, essentially, which we did. I don't believe for a, a, a second that they did that. But again, that's complete conjecture on my part. Maybe they did. But the point is, we I know for a fact, at least, that they weren't being treated as employees while operating out of California. And also, I have no idea, because that was in between 2015 and 2016, and Sean Gares was in TSM, I believe, 2016, not 2015. Yeah. So, it was the end of 2016, I think. Yeah, so I'd, I, I do not have reason to believe that they ever even did do that that year. So, yeah, that's uh, an interesting one. But yeah, what, what do you think about this, Yaska? What, what, sort of, uh, what sort of stuck out for you when you read this? Oh, by the way, yeah. sorry, before you go, I just want to say one thing, which I think is really funny. My favorite part of this was, uh, and I quote, this is from the uh, from from the meat of his, his reply. He put, not a single witness described any systematic and or isolated incidents of sexual harassment or gender discrimination. At no point were you ever accused of this, to my knowledge. It was always yeah, just yeah. about being uh you know it's like it's like saying oh and our investigation found that reggie had not stolen any property from the like no one asked you that it's just about uh, verbally abusing people and uh, board like and if that constitutes harassment no one said anything about gender discrimination or whatever and the way he writes this whole post even though obviously it was proofread and probably lawyered a bit as well you can tell that reggie at least had some input because it's kind of like look look see see look they said that i was innocent of like you're saying you're innocent of crimes you were never even accused of which to me is the attitude of yeah, a guilty man yeah. that i could be wrong but yeah Jessica, what what did you think of this whole thing yeah it's like tsm is accused of lashing their players Oh, the investigation has found that they haven't starved any of their players. And it's just like, okay, I mean, nobody, nobody accused you of that. So what does that necessarily matter? Uh, one thing about the whole like independent contractor point and whether that, that'll actually be something that is sort of uh, like fleshed out in the legal world is that uh, I believe in, even to this day, this is something that happens in uh, professional wrestling right now, where um, uh, I, I believe in like uh, 2006 or something, uh, like Brock Lesnar... Uh, the UFC fighter, he uh, he had uh, wrestling operates on independent contracts, but they have sort of like exclusivity clauses where they can't do anything else, which is illegal. It's like that. That's incredibly illegal that they can't do anything else. Um, like they're basically treating them as an employee on independent contractor status. And as soon every single time that it's been brought to court of somebody potentially fighting it, they just instantly back off and instantly are like, all right, hey, we'll get you out of your contract. Like, I, I don't believe that if it's been 20 years of that happening in other fields, I don't necessarily think that it's ever going to go straight to court because if anybody ever tries to push like, hey, this independent contractor thing you're doing is illegal, then they'll just instantly abide by everything that they sort of like want and give the person anything that they want, get them out of their contract, whatever. Just because it's such a... It's such a massive boon to be able to have people as an independent contractor while treating them like his employee. So anytime somebody does push this, I don't think it's ever going to go to court. Like like the Tfue situation, they don't ever want these things to be legally resolved. The problem in esports compared to like wrestling is that uh, in wrestling, it's like one organization that is doing all of this to where um, they have a much more solid, rigorous legal team. Whereas in esports, if a single esports team doesn't have their lawyers in check and doesn't figure that out of what to properly do in that situation if somebody wants to pursue legal action then it could 
wipe out the entire um, aspect of that happening in the industry. Uh, just in general with this investigation, it's honestly most people really don't care about this stuff aside from like the optics. So a lot of people who are shitting on Reggie, shitting on TSM, saying that, hey, I don't like harassment in the workplace. If they got an offer for TSM tomorrow, they'd take it in an instant. There's very few people who actually care about these sort of things. And if the higher ups, if the gods of the industry, as in TSM's hired independent investigator, or Riot don't say anything, then they'll just assume that they're innocent. Um, because if they don't take any action, then it must just be that they're innocent, you know? So, the classic trend on Reddit that I've seen for years and years, which it goes like this, this is how you know they're either very young or they've only experienced the law through television shows. They will genuinely say, if they're wrong, then take them to court and you would win. Or the, my favourite one ever goes, if you're innocent, what do you have to worry about going to court? Like, are you aware, like, if the 12 people just decide for any reason to say you're guilty, no matter what, like, you do just you go to prison, like, that's it. It doesn't matter how innocent you are. But so, yeah, I've found a lot of people just have the movie version where they think in the last act of the movie, if you're innocent, you get proven innocent. But first of all, there's no such thing, you just get proven not guilty. Or if you're guilty, then you'll be found guilty. So I think a lot of people don't realise the way the legal system works. Also, uh, I like, mean, there's, it, it, I think it's like 25% of people um, will admit to, if, if pushed, 25% of people will admit to, uh, to committing a crime that they did not commit at all, that they had no relation to. 25% of people will admit to it if pushed. But also uh, people don't really take into account that just making the decision to take something to court is going to hobble your whole fucking life and your bank account for as long as it lasts and there's no guarantee for how long it's going to last or how how long it's going to cost you. So it's not just like, ha, huh, well, uh, if you think so, uh, my brother, then let's go talk to mum and see who she thinks is right. Like, no, that, it doesn't take five minutes. It's, you have to go through this whole fucking process and it's going to cost you an arm and a leg. So, by, and by the way, this, I forgot about this. This has to be in the golden hits of Reggie moments that were sort of buried in this whole thing. Part of it is, again, this, this to me just says you're guilty again no justification of this whatsoever but if i read this i'm like fuck off you're fucking guilty as shit he wrote that they call each other by funny pokemon names and that he can understand how someone being called a pokemon name without context might be seen as being hurtful like what kind of like again that's like if i'm pressing you and saying did you do this did you do this did you do this and you saying oh, well, you know, I might have very slightly brushed her shoulder and I guess she could have felt that and, and it might have hurt her if, if she didn't realise I was being friendly. It's like, no, you're being accused of punching them in the face. Like, obviously, this is a fucking smoke screen. you saying you brushed their shoulder. Like, what are you talking about? Calling someone by a Pokemon name? Like, keep in mind as well, a lot of these people, although some have remained anonymous, have come forward and said, he treated me like this, he did this to the HR person. Like, specific examples of what have happened have been given. Double if some said some as well is incredible as he may be no one's again it's like the fucking the sexual harassment thing or the gender no one's accused you of this no one said he called me pikachu and i'm mad like why are you inserting this into a document on on second thoughts honestly i'm i'm i don't know if a legal representative did read this because that's fucking mental if he left that in and by the way shock horror is something that no one's talked about and you can only read so much oh. into this but i like to i like to group cunts together when i can obviously Bryce Blum represents him, doesn't he? That guy's got no fucking morals. And you can say, oh, well, it's a lawyer. You know, it's a, it's hard to have morals as a lawyer. Whatever. My dad was a lawyer for 40 fucking years and he never represented anyone as much of a cunt as that guy. So it's what it is. Um, but anyway, cool. Well, I think we will leave it there, guys. I think we covered our bases. And uh, thank you all for watching and see you next time.